Hello everyone, my name's Kat and I'll be leading us through the Bible reading today. So we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 through to chapter 4 verse 1. And if you picked up a blue Bible from the welcome desk on your way in, it's on one, page 1184. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Did you know that two-thirds of your life is spent working and in relationships with other people? Now, if you have a great job, good relationships, that's a good thought. If your work satisfaction is low, that could be a very depressing thought. But given the amount of time, mental load, effort, stress uh, that we put into work and relationships, it would be odd if the God who made us and Jesus as Lord does not address those parts of our life from time to time. Our verses today do. And the challenge with them is not that Jesus says something about them. The challenge is, do I agree with what Jesus has to say about them? Richard Chin uh, works with AFES on uni campuses, and he says this, these timeless words of Christ, which is supposed to dwell in us richly from Colossians 3.16, but I wonder whether this part of the word of Christ dwells in us reluctantly, if at all. And I confess that I'm nervous about walking through these few verses today. If you're married, it's confronting. If you're not married, it's hard to hear. If you're here today and you hold a different view, a different, different, a different definition of marriage, or aren't yet a Christian, well, firstly, I'm really glad you're here and you're welcome in our church. Thank you for coming. But it is hard to hear this. And I hope that all of us will consider how Christianity is good news for our relationships as we walk through this. To begin, what I want to do is paint three uh, big pictures for context, and then we'll walk through this slowly. So the first big picture we have to see is that we all belong to the body of Jesus. This comes from the previous chapters in Colossians. Colossians is claiming Jesus is the head of his body, the church. You can diagram it like this. Jesus is the head. Every Christian is placed in him, under him, and lives in him. In Christ, we are all the same, one head, one body. And that's very, very good news. We all belong to the body of Jesus. Second big picture, Jesus is our motivation. If you're in Christ, we begin to adopt Jesus' outlook in our life, and the motivation for this As 3.17 says, 
is for the praise of God. Motivated by the lordship of Jesus over all areas of our life, even our family. In fact, six times in these verses today, you see how Jesus as Lord is your motivation for thinking and living this way. Listen to what it says. Wives, as is fitting in the Lord. Children, it pleases the Lord. Slaves, work with reverence for the Lord. You'll receive an inheritance from the Lord. Work for the Lord. Masters, you have a master in heaven. And even though Paul doesn't use that phrase, Paul, the the author of this uh, letter, even though he doesn't use that phrase when speaking of husbands and dads, could any man imagine that he is Lord of his little home after reading this? No. There is no part of Jesus' creation in which his lordship does not extend to, even in our relationships. We're all the body. Jesus is our motivation. Big picture three, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. Sue was really helpful, wasn't she, with the kids? Uh, kids, are your husbands? No. Are your masters? No. Well, some of them wanted to be. But really, not all of us are husbands or wives. We're not slaves. We're all part of the body of Jesus. We're all united to him under his lordship. And one day, we will all be in a perfect, holy, loving union with him. Now, if you're here and you feel bruised, and you reflect on your relationships and they have not gone to plan, Jesus is very aware of this. And he does not want to heap guilt and shame upon you. In Isaiah 42, we read that God doesn't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering candle of a life. Jesus gives grace and healing and mercy every single day. And the confidence the best is yet to come. Listen to Revelation 21.2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. May we all find hope by looking ahead to the relationship that we are made for and invited into with Jesus, the one who loves you to bits, who will make you beautifully dressed and restored to himself whom we can find hope in, no matter our relationship status in this life, there is one in which the best is yet to come. So therefore, let us keep our hearts and minds pegged on Jesus, his lordship, and the relationship that we'll have with him one day as we navigate life now as his people. So three big pictures, let's keep them in mind as we walk through uh, these verses today. So here's what, how it begins. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In today's age, that word submission sounds offensive and grates against all of us. If you're not offended by that word, you probably are by the word slaves and masters or by the idea of children obeying your parents. I have two girls and the thought of my daughters not being treated with respect and honesty does not sit well with me and I guess every dad has that feeling too. And my son, for not to respect a woman, is a horrible thing to think of as well. And it's horrible that God's word has been used to justify ungodly, evil behaviour to women in history. So let's talk about what this verse isn't saying first. Submit does not mean subjugation, domination, controlling, forced to act or behave in an undignifying way. Submit does not mean you're a doormat, it does not mean you're stuck in the kitchen, it does not mean you can't work and it does not mean you belong to someone as property. 
Submit does not mean a husband rules his wife. A wife should never be devalued, told to be silent, because Jesus never treats his bride that way. Men never get to treat their wives any other way than how Jesus treats us. And if your experience has not been good, not been kind in this way, of forced submission, then I am sorry. I can't imagine what that's like. But may you know that Jesus loves you perfectly and we want to support you with the love of Jesus wherever you're at. And please do seek support and help. On the handout, there is uh, 1-800-RESPECT. But also, if you're a husband and you failed in this way and you struggle with this, then there's a podcast for you to listen to. Wives do listen to it as well. It is actually very good. But husbands, may you know that if you treat a woman that way, you should be held to account for that. Husbands, know very seriously, you will answer to Jesus your head if you're living that way, so face your actions. There is no excuse. That is not what God intends at all in that verse. What does it say? Submit means seek to doing another's will and ordering your life under them. Seeking to do someone else's will, ordering your life under them. Giving up your interests for the sake of another. And all of us have submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord when we became a Christian. Please remember that. Consider three other ways that this word is used in in the New Testament as well. Romans 8.20, creation is ordered under Jesus. Ephesians 1.22, heavenly powers and authorities are submitting to Jesus. 1 Peter 5, those in the church come under the pastor's teaching. And this really wonderful verse, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Ephesians, Paul is very clear that both a husband and wife submit to each other and the Lord together. Both are seeking to do another's will, the Lord's will, Jesus' will, and their spouses. Order your life under Jesus as your Lord. And if you're married, put your partner's needs above your own. That's the idea from Ephesians 5.21. Back in Colossians, we can say more. Uh, oh, no, you can't, you can't see that yet. Um, I'll come later. Back in Colossians, notice this is a command for women only. For wives, I should say only. For wives. Husbands, do not make her submit to you. There is never a command from God or a verse saying that. Which means submission is voluntary and always is. Jesus is our model here. On earth, he was equal with God the Father and submissive to the Father at the same time. Therefore, equality and submissiveness do coexist in human relationships. By looking to Jesus, a wife can see that and a husband won't overstep that. And just as submitting doesn't diminish the dignity and glory of Jesus, it doesn't diminish the dignity of a wife either. Why? Because a wife's giving up her interest as fitting in the Lord. That's a reminder that Jesus is her Lord, not her husband. It means that submitting happens as appropriate for someone who is in Jesus. And just as Jesus wasn't unequal to the Father, wives, if you choose to submit to your husbands, you are not unequal to them in any way. It means as Jesus rejoiced to serve God, wives, you can rejoice to serve over a husband who delights in you, like Jesus. But of course, no husband is ever 
as good, as kind, as honouring is going to measure up to Jesus. Husbands will cause great frustration for their wives. And even the best marriage is between two sinful people. Put them together, it's going to cause some tension sometimes. I think Paul knew this, but he doesn't say don't bother. It's good because God is good. And he wants us to aim high because God's vision is beyond anything we can imagine. Therefore, a high bar in your relationship is very good. Here's the slide I want to show you. This is from someone called John Gottman. He's a relationship expert and he's not a Christian. He observes this. People with the greatest expectations for their marriage usually wind up with the highest quality marriage. This suggests that by holding your relationship to high standards, you are far more likely to achieve the kind of marriage you want than you are by looking the other way and letting things slide. Therefore, submission is not a dirty word when Jesus fills it with grace and lordship. And that's a model worth aspiring to. Let us not think we need to erase any notion of submission. Let's just erase the sinful notion of it. Let's embrace the Jesus-given order that revolves around him as Lord of his kindness, compassion, humility, and love in our relationships. Because they're the virtues Jesus has. And what enables a wife to do this in a godly way and a husband to treat his wife in a godly way is exactly by looking to him. Wives, may I ask you, in light of this, do you respect your husband as is fitting in the Lord? And husbands, let me ask you this. What's the corresponding word to submit? Love. Listen to what Paul says to husbands. Love your wife. Did you know, in the Colossian context of AD 60, there is no literature written that says a husband should love his wife. Absent. But not with God. God's language for a husband is love because his language as our husband is love. Notice that her side is not possible without his and vice versa. That is, how natural to love a loyal wife and who would not want to remain loyal and give up their rights for a truly loving husband. Husbands, you are told to delight in your wife. Loving her so much, seeking her best because Jesus already sought her best. Love her to be as holy as she can be. Love her in such a way that... Love her in such a way that your wife will never mutter under the back of her breath, Oh dear. Love her as much as you can. Care for her as deeply as Jesus does. When was the last time you thanked God for your wife? When was the last time you asked God to help her love her as much as Jesus loves her, to care for her as well as Jesus is? Now notice too, this command, I mean the question is, does this command have a limit on it? As in the submissive one does for wives, but does it have one for the husband? Well, this week in our garden, a pipe broke, rusted through, burst everywhere Monday morning, and water went everywhere. I went out, I turned off the mains, and made some calls, waited for a plumber. It's a frustrating moment. It wasn't what I planned. Seven hours later, the water came back on, but it was an agonizing seven hours full of frustration and annoyance. And that is not a simile for how I love my wife. Turn off the love when things get messy and hard, and the broken pipe ruins my day. Flip it, guys. Does your wife want you to love her when she's frustrated and annoyed 
and tired and had a bad day and calls you to say she drove the car up the curb and it's all dented? Yeah. Just as Jesus loves her and Jesus loves you no matter what. How absurd, husbands, if Jesus only loved you when you were nice to him. How absurd, husbands, to only love your wife sometimes. Do not give any thought or oxygen to that thinking. Therefore, husbands, just ponder how deeply Jesus treats his body, as we've seen in Colossians. Read through Colossians, husband. Note, every time Jesus is there looking after his body, that is how you love your wife. He saves, he clothes, he's kind, and on and on. Now, you don't save her. Don't get that egotistical mindset in you at all. You make her holy by pointing her to her saviour. Love your wife as Jesus loves his body. Therefore, how do you love her well? Well, value her as your equal. She's your co-heir with Christ, 1 Peter says. Love the one who stands by your side together in Jesus. Husbands, don't be harsh, it says in Colossians. A clear command against any brutish behaviour. Never intimidate her. Never make her feel afraid of you. Love her to bits every day. Be ready to die for her. Be ready to watch her favourite movie instead of playing your video game and don't comment about it. Ask her, what does Jesus, her head, want for her? Husband, start a Google Doc in your head. Don't actually start a Google Doc called this, but start it in your head called Loving My Wife to Be More Like Jesus and then write down all the things you need to do to make her holy and blameless in the Lord because that's what Jesus wants for her. Ask her how she feels loved. By the grace of God, husbands, wives, have a high bar for your marriage. Have a high bar in the Lord. Now, we've lingered on those verses for good reasons, I think, for quite some time. And I do want to press on to the others because they also are just as confronting and hard. So let's talk about children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, yeah, children. Why should children obey? It pleases the Lord. Now, that's not to earn God's favour. Parents never say something like, well, if you do what I say, Jesus will love you. Now, it's tempting, parents, isn't it? Because you just want them to obey, but no, that's not the gospel of grace. Parents, if it pleases the Lord for your kids to obey, then as much as you can, make it as easy as possible for your children to obey. Because they won't want to obey you. We saw that with the little master hands putting up before, didn't we? Because we believe in the doctrine of total depravity. Children are just as sinful as their parents and you get to raise sinful, lovely people and point them to Jesus. So make it as easy as you can. And fathers, hear this especially, don't react with impatience, harshness and distance as you navigate parenthood. About two weeks ago, one of my kids came after school running up to me and said, I've got the paper in the hand. Um, I've got great news. I got selected to represent the school. Now, the other two kids have already been representing the school in lots of ways, but she's never, ever got the chance. And this was that one day. It was a very big deal to her. And I knew that. And she said to me, this is wonderful. How great is it? And you know what I said when she had this joyful face? Oh. Now, in that moment, I crushed her. Lost all her joy. Tears came in her eyes because I was harsh with her. Fathers, if you're more like me, you're likely to be better at that than defaulting to encouragement 
Or you're likely to praise what you love instead of what they love, which is what I did. Dads, think about your heavenly father, his love, grace, kindness, and just drip feed that to your kids. You know those little hamster drink bottles you may have seen or guinea pig ones that has the water and it ball goes up and they just, you know, it gets the water but it's slow. Like, just live doing that with God's grace and kindness to your kids all the time and you drown them eventually. I mean, in Jesus' love, isn't that great? Think back to what you want your kids, your grandkids to parent like and work backwards. Let us instruct, instruct them in the ways of the Lord Dads, not just how to kick a football. Now, the thing is, in 15 years of doing youth work, when this verse came up, I loved it. Teens would say, when do I not get to obey my parents? Like, they just they look for the loopholes, right? And there has been one with the wives, right? There hasn't been one with the husbands, but is there one for the kids? Well, firstly, uh, God never expects children to follow the sinful patterns of their parents. Children should never be, never be coerced into illegal acts or put in violent situations or taken advantage of. The boundary is what's pleasing to the Lord. And then figure that out. But more often, obeying mum and dad is pleasant, pleasing, and actually what God wants. But not when you're leading your kids to sin. All right, another tricky one. So please know, in Rome... In AD 60, when this was written, 80% of the population were slaves or former slaves. Slaves were put in charge of running whole businesses. They were put in charge of caring for kids. They were well respected. They were treated with care and kindness most of the time. Like our workplaces today, there are moments and always a possibility for abuse and overstepping the mark. But slavery, as we imagine it, was very different back then. And while the Bible neither condemns nor endorses slavery, it does clearly condemn abusive behavior of a slave and slaves. Now, in the Colossian context, this is talking about the family, Jesus shaping and forming, transforming our relationship at home, and that included slaves because slaves made up the family unit back then. Therefore, don't jump too quickly to think, my job that you go to tomorrow. It's not quite a straight line as that in terms of applying this. But there is wisdom for work. If we ask the question, I think, which stands behind these verses, as who are you serving? Who are you serving? And you see that come out. The point is being made that slaves and masters are both servants of who? Jesus. And that changes the motivation for work, obeying when no one's watching, obeying because you want to please Jesus, not just your boss. And you do that because God's watching. Our heavenly master sees everything. God sees your faithful service and will reward you even if no one else does. Now, you may feel, find comfort in that, but even more if you were a slave. That's a wonderful thought. Those united to Christ, God has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints of light to be married to him in the future. And if you're a slave, that's gold. And masters, you aren't the top. You're not the boss. You have a boss too and his name is God and this boss knows how you treat others even if the government doesn't, even if the HR department don't know, God knows. Therefore, provide right and fair working conditions for those in your house because Jesus worked your salvation and is a model of selfless sacrifice who submitted to the Father, who loves his bride, the church, and has rescued us all from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of whom he loves until we have the redemption and forgiveness of sins. And I think that's a good place to leave it today.
May you know, however you've arrived today, the transferring and transforming grace of God to each of us. And whatever condition we are in, carry on with Jesus in our relationships with all wisdom and grace to navigate them well to the praise of his glory. Let me pray and then we'll sing a song called Who You Say I Am. And there's a line in that that says, there's a place for me. May you know there's a place for you in God's house, even if you can't quite figure out life here. Come to the God who loves you to bits. Let's pray. Father God, your word is good. You are good and you do good. It is hard sometimes to be confronted with what it means to be your follower of you. And God, we know that life is not easy, but we remind ourselves that you don't bruise or break or snuff out those who are hurting. You give them grace and mercy. And so I pray for that for those here today, for all of us, in fact, that we would be given your grace and mercy to live well as your people, loving, seeking, serving, honoring you in all our relationships. Father God, may you give us the strength and safety to make some tough decisions if we need to, so that we can live well as your people and not under the hand of someone angry and domineering any longer. So Jesus, give us your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.